Hey, this is Rob, and this is episode seven of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. If you're wondering why the audio in this upcoming episode is a little echoey, uh, it is because it was recorded with my good friend Ronnie Fink down at Six Mile Bridge Brewery in St. Louis, Missouri, where we discuss beer, coffee, and coffee beers. We're going to work on an upcoming collaboration uh, early 2020, and we go at length in discussion about his background, beer, coffee beer, what goes into it, uh, but it's all explained in the episode, so I will just let this episode go. Enjoy it. All right, I am here in St. Louis, Missouri, which for those of you who know me, I lived here for a year from 2016 to 2017 selling beer for Boston Beer Company. Uh, Prior to that, I was in Southern Illinois for a year, and while I was there, I met Ronnie Fink. Ronnie Fink at the time was the head brewer of Modern Brewery. Uh, Since moving back to Minnesota in 2017 to start Folly Coffee, he has since moved over to Six Mile Bridge in... What town are we technically in right now? Maryland Heights? Yeah, Maryland Heights. (laughs) (laughs) St. Louis? I never fully learned the cities when I was here. It's just like, it's all St. Louis metro area. Uh, And I'm down here. I got up at 3.45 a.m. this morning for a 6 a.m. flight to fly down here to only talk to Ronnie about beer and coffee collaborations. My own personal take on it is that coffee beer collaborations are generally pretty boring. Uh, there's like one or two styles that people tend to stick to, your stouts, your porters, which are dark coffees with dark roasted malts, and so it's like, oh, you use a dark roasted coffee for dark roasted malts, but we're seeing this cool resurgence really brought on by craft beer about different beer styles, and now with the growth of specialty coffee, we're now seeing more thought than ever going into what coffee is being used in coffee beers. Uh, We had a really cool event in Minneapolis uh, last March, Midwest Coffee Tasters event that we put on, where we did four different beer styles with four different local roasters, and that was kind of the first time uh, that I experienced side-by-side different coffees and coffee beers. So I'm here with Ronnie today. Uh, We are planning out a coffee beer collaboration. And so we wanted to give a behind the scenes. First, I wanted to talk to Ronnie just about his background in beer uh, because it's a stellar background, awesome training, and just tasting what he was doing at Modern Brewery from what he's doing now uh, reflects that. And then we're going to go into talking about just like philosophy behind coffee beers, uh, where it stands now, what the history of coffee beers has traditionally been, and the coolest things we're seeing in the industry with it. Uh, And so with that, I will introduce Ronnie Fink. <laughs> Hi, Ho Silver. <laughs> so, How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, where, where, so where are you originally from? I'm from St. Louis. Okay, yeah. cool. So born and raised St. Louis. Yes. So you, you're brewing at Modern Beer. What year did you start there? 2013. And at what point did your brewing career start? Um, so I went to UC Davis for their brewing program after my undergraduate, um, which was in biology and chemistry, and I started brewing professionally in 2010 at Free State Brewing Company, which is in Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. a great brewery. And it was a great time. And so going out of high school into undergrad, 
you said you had a degree in biology and chemistry. Yes. Was your intention of biology and chemistry to brew beer when you were 18 going into college? <laughs> no, and I was never even a home brewer, uh, so I was actually going to go to dental school. <laughs> <laughs> That's a natural shift. Yeah. So at what point, as a biology and chemistry major, did your thinking change to... I, I'm not going to pick plaque off of teeth. I'm going to go brew beer professionally. Yeah, well, it was my senior year, and I was preparing for uh, my final testing and things like that to, to apply to dental school. And, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was already into, into good craft beer. You know, Back then, I was a huge uh, Sierra Nevada fan. So what, what year is this, roughly? Uh, 2008. Okay, so still pretty yeah. early in the craft beer kind of Definitely. movement. Um, and you know, I was just into craft beer. I was never, like I said, never a home brewer. And I graduated, and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I heard about the program at UC Davis, and I was like, wow, that would be awesome to eventually open up, you know, my own craft brewery or work at one. I mean, at the time, I was, you know, like I said, a huge craft beer drinker. Um, and so I applied, and I had all the, uh, you know, the prerequisites, and then, and, you know, it worked out. <laughs> That's crazy. And um, I know the reputation of UC Davis is an amazing brewing school, and there's really not, in the U.S., there's not that many out there, and right. UC Davis is one that sets the standard, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today. So what was it like going from, like, a traditional uh, biology, chemistry degree to all of a sudden shifting that you're taking that knowledge and shifting it into brewing beer? Yeah, well, I think most people take for granted, like, craft beer, like, what actually goes into it, and beer in general, like, how much science there actually is, um, but it really gave me, like, a baseline knowledge to not only just brew beer, but know, uh, like, the problems, what we do now, like, or change this for this chemical formulation or this, you know, chemical reaction. There's just, like, lots of things that if you don't have those kinds of degrees, you don't really know why things are happening that are, you know, good or poor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just, like... You know, biology, chemistry, and then I had physics and, you know, calculus and all these different things that you had to get into that, you know, program. Yeah. So what were, what were the, who were the other people in this program? Because that's, <laughs> that's what fascinates me. Yeah. I actually have another buddy that went a similar, similar route. He's a, he's a uh, biochemistry major and ends up brewing beer. And so is it a bunch of chemistry, biology nerds like, <laughs> that are all just like, we're into science, but we also drink beer. Why not? I, I'm not, I don't want to go to dentist school anymore. Right. Or like, what is, is, is it a lot of people with experience? Is it people who've always been into it? Is it a lot of people like you that didn't even know you wanted to get into it until the program came up? Well, because the program, there's only 30 people a year they get to go into this program. So you have the five or six people that are 45 and 50 that want to, you know, have their own business and they did the accountant thing for 10, 20 years, and now they want to do something they love. Or you have the people that are, you know, for AB InBev in Brazil, you know, there's four or five of those people. And AB InBev is the company that now owns Budweiser. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they were sending people there and paying for, them, for their schooling, you know, because they also pay for a lot of that program. Oh, right. Um, then you also have the people straight out of college that, you know, were home brewers, but then they had to, like, take classes over the summer to get all the prerequisites for like three years in a row to like get into the program and then you have people like me who I think didn't know exactly what they wanted to do we also had people that were in the industry already in sales or that were washing kegs at a brewery and they wanted to be taken seriously so they went to this program so it was like a, a wide variety of people and you know I like to think that I'm not a dork okay or a nerd <laughs> just because I was biology and chemistry okay you know we'll leave that off the table for now but it was actually really cool like people that you know you would be at a table and you're like man there's a lot of different people that that's that's kind of my this program. That's, that's craft beer in general yeah for it, sure it's it the, the 
I'm going to limit this to like really great breweries, like ones making really clean, really nice beers. Is it's a weird combination of artistry and science that it does require kind of this weird, like, I don't know if you call it an intellectual streak or even someone that just can get hyper focused on the minute details that right. change a beer from being like this is a good beer to this is like next level everything about the complexity. And so, how, how many years was that program at UC Davis? So it's actually only six months. Oh, it's a but six it's months, forty hours a week. So, <laughs> you know, which is actually it sounds terrible or you know, forty hours a week, but. It, it was, I studied more in that six months than I did my entire undergraduate. Right. Because so it was something I cared about. Is it 40 hours of pure classes? Is it a lot of hands-on work? Is it a shadowing? Or what, what constitutes 40 hours in that right. six-month so period? Right. So each day is broken down differently with different professors. So, like, you do the biochemistry. You do the biology, the chemistry. You're doing taste panel, like, mm -hmm. which was actually awesome. Like, a, a world-renowned taste panel um, woman came in and would sit us down for an hour for, like, eight weeks in a row. And, you know, you're tasting your palate and what's off flavors and stuff like that and then you know you're doing a lot of review and then you're also doing the like day-to-day -day work like mashing in yeah. like the boil like the whole process so like each day was like a different beast so it also kept it very interesting and, and so you end up at Free State Lawrence Kansas uh, which if you're from the area extremely popular brewery right. down there. What's their, what's their flagship style? So their flagship is Copperhead um, Pale Ale. That's they also right. have Ad Astra, which is an amber ale. Yeah. Um, but they were actually the first legal brewery after Prohibition in Kansas. Oh, man, I didn't yeah. know that. It's like in 1989, that's how. And so the year now is still 2008. They're 2010 10, at this point, yeah. uh, and you're working for them. What's your role there? Because they're, they're a fairly sizable right. brewery for the, you know, they've been around for a while. You're six months out of the program. What's your first role there? So I think, like, legitimately my boss hired me because of my education because he thinks, like, that he could probably train anyone how to brew. And, you know, a lot of people think that. You know, it's just, like, repetition. Yeah. As long as you can learn the process, like, you can be a good shift brewer. Yeah. And um, could you explain what a shift brewer is? Yeah, so, like, to someone that their only responsibilities are coming in, mashing in, mashing out, like, the exact same thing all the time. They're not making very many decisions. So they're not formulating recipes, right, exactly. they're not tweaking things to yeah. to manipulate flavor profile. I mean, because brewing, like a shift brewer, I'm not minimizing that role, it's just, because it's hard work, Yeah. you know, but yeah, you're not making any recipes, you're not like doing any decisions based, like to affect the beer, essentially. Right. Um, just your hard work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's kind of the uh, funniest thing is that, uh, being a brewer, it seems like a sexy job, and then when you start home brewing, you go, oh, this is, most of this is just cleaning. Yeah, 80% cleaning. It's like <laughs> making the recipe super fun, and then yeah. you're doing it, and you're like, this is just, like, I'm just cleaning, and then right. my homebrew is crappy, and then I have a case and a half of beer that tastes terrible. Right. But yeah, so, so shift brewer, but so you take on kind of a different role. Right, well, because we were still relatively small, whereas, like, I was going to slowly take on a lot of different responsibilities because of my education, so then I learned how to filter um, which was, you know, it's very, it's kind of similar to brewing, you know, but like it's a little bit more difficult and you're affecting the beer a little bit more, you know, like the end product. Yeah. And then I took over our QA and QC lab because I had the biology and chemistry and background. Quality control. Yeah, quality control and quality analysis, analysis. Yeah. which was awesome, especially like as your first brewing job to see all those aspects of, you know, a brewery, like... I didn't realize it at the time how lucky I was to be at a small brewery like that because, you know, everyone's like, oh, I want to go to Deschutes, Sierra Nevada, like my first job. But, you know, you're going to get more uh, hands-on stuff at the smaller breweries. Yeah. Uh, and so how long were you in that role? 
So when I started, um, I was brewing just for about, I don't know, six months. And, and what was that experience like going from not even knowing you wanted to be in beer, right. six-month intensive 40-hour-a-week program, you're hired by a really awesome regional brewery into really what is kind of like a not-entry role in terms of brewing. Right. So what was that like? Was it? Were you confident in your role at that point, or was it like, what am I doing? Seven months ago, <laughs> I didn't even, right. I, I wasn't even doing this. Yeah. I mean, I was confident when I went in, and then... I was like put in my place, you know, because there's so much you have to learn hand on, hands-on wise, like, uh, you know, valves, like uh, quick connects, all these different things that like literally my education didn't prepare me for. And, th and that's not, a, not like a shot at the education. It's just it's the way it is. You know, for, I would say for the first six months, it was like going back to zero, you know, and then after that six months, after you get your, you know, your feet wet, you're putting it all together. Yeah. You know, it starts making all the like it starts making more sense like I learned this and then I did this and then this is why I do it type of thing cool so the, so you're in Lawrence Kansas in that role uh, explain how it goes from that to modern brewery in st. Louis yeah so I was there for about three years at, at, uh, at Free State sorry um, and I got to see a lot of it and an opportunity came up and you know I probably wasn't ready to take the leap to start a brewery you know, but like when opportunity knocks, right? Uh, no one's ever really probably ready. I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so a buddy from high school who also went to the program with me uh, is like, hey, I found some, you know, investment opportunity, like, or some people that were interested in investing into the brewery. I was like, already? Like, we're going to do this? And he's like, well, do you want to come back and do it in St. Louis? I was like, yeah. Because at the time, you know, I didn't really have many personal, I mean, I'm sorry, family connections in Lawrence, obviously. And I was like, I want to, I get to go back to my hometown and start a brewery, which was like obviously my dream. And I was like, you know, I thought about it. I talked to my wife and I was like, all right, I guess we're doing it. And what year does this take place? In 2013. 2013. And so I lived here for a year, so I have a pretty good handle on kind of the dynamic. But for those who aren't, what is it like starting a small quality focused craft brewery in a city that literally the only thing people can think of when they think of it is this little nice brewery down the street called right. Budweiser. Well, and the Cardinals. You know, okay. uh, nah, that's, <laughs> maybe I mean, five. It's not maybe quite five the twins, years, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the twins are in the playoffs this year. Yeah, uh, so are the Cardinals. But you're, you're in this behemoth, this global, right. just gigantic brewery Budweiser that their whole thing is like, don't drink that crap, drink our <laughs> crap. But what is it like? Start, so what is it like in 2013 starting a small quality focused craft brewery in a town that takes pride of being Budweiser. Yeah, well, I think um, the idea, like AB InBev bought Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, I'm sorry, uh, in 2007, 2008, and we all kind of knew it was coming. And then a bunch of craft breweries opened up in St. Louis. So it was kind of like, oh, you know, growing up, everyone you knew worked at AB or knew someone in their family that worked at AB. So everyone was like, oh, you can't drink anything but AB product. It's like a family product. Yeah, exactly. And then it totally shift, shifted. Um, I mean, obviously, people still drink that product. So, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, a few people. But, you know, it was like, oh, uh, all these craft breweries are going to open up locally and we're going to support those small businesses. Yeah. And that was in 2008. So, you know, there was a huge boom here in 2010 of craft breweries and then it also in 2011 2012 and then 13 it was still you know relatively minimal amount of craft breweries in st louis my understanding of InBev, the brazilian-based company that purchased them is that they're really really good at 
creating efficiencies in a company, which is the corporate way to put it. Mm -hmm. You were very good at uh, becoming a more efficient company and making sure that our investors and stockholders are taken care of, and generally how they do that is cutting roles and outsourcing. Exactly. And that's my understanding of what happened. So th when that happened, that's when craft beer started to kind of take foot, you think? Exactly, and a lot of people, like I said, knew those people that got cut or had to take salary cuts or their jobs got moved to New York or wherever else, you know. I mean, everyone in St. Louis was affected when that happened. Yeah, so not only was craft beer growing, but you've got this extra added layer in St. Louis of people are saying, we want to drink something else if there's something else out there. Right. So you launched Modern Brewery in 2013. Uh, how was that going from, again, you know, a few years? You've got, at this point, three years of experience, six months at an awesome, amazing school, but still, that's three and a half years professionally at beer and you're starting a brewery right. in, in St. Louis. You know, I was never really worried about the beer because I felt like, you know, the education and then what I learned at Free State was going to put me in at least an area of average beer, you know, and I don't like to think of myself as an average beer maker, yeah. but that was like the bottom ceiling, I thought. So like it was Average like, for really good beer. Exactly. <laughs> so I was hoping, you know, that we were, because we're both local, so a lot of times, you know, that really helps. Like, you're pushing the product and they're like, oh, you guys are from St. Louis? Oh, what high school did you go to? That's like the biggest St. Louis question there is. I got to stop you there. So <laughs> when I first moved to St. Louis in 2006, summer of 2016, I didn't know anyone here. And uh, a friend of mine, when I lived in Chicago, uh, he was from St. Louis, so I said, do you have anyone still living here? And he said, everyone I know still lives there. You should go <laughs> hang out with, uh, you should go hang out with Joe. And so I'll, Joe's like, oh yeah, we're going out to McGurk's and uh, you should come with us. And so I went with them and we talked to three separate groups of people and every single one of them comes up to me and he goes, what high school did you go to? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, he like put them up. This is some weird joke, because I'm like, well, I, I mean, I went to high school in Minnesota. Oh, okay, did you go to Mizzou then? And I'm like, no. Okay, well, like, what are you doing here then? And I was like, this is some weird prank. And he's like, oh, no, 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 that's just everyone here uh, went to high school yeah. and they're here, and that's how they know each other. That's, that's the number one question. It's but like that, a joke. It's on T-shirts here. But that's, that is, uh, I mean, it's just like if you're local, yeah. it's a huge, I don't know if you call it an advantage, but it's definitely, definitely something advantage. that people want to support, not only something that's locally made, but also somebody yeah. that has a connection to where it's being made. Well, because at that time also, um, I think the city of St. Louis was like having a lot of uh, like homegrown people open up their own restaurants, mm. open up their own stores. Like it was like a huge like renaissance here, like less corporate, more, you know, family owned stuff. Uh, it just like was a perfect timing to open a brewery. And, and so when you open, how do you open? Do you open a tap room? Do you go distribution first? Are you canning? Are you bottling? How do you kind of approach the launch of Modern Brewery? Yeah, so my uh, partner Beamer was in sales. Uh, that was like his best background of craft beer. Um, was at a distributor, like a distributed brewery, not a you know not a tap room. Yeah. Um, and so that was the easiest route for us to go. And financially, it's the easiest I think to start. And in St. Louis or Missouri as a whole, you can distribute yourself. So, you know, you're not paying a distributor to do Keep your margin. Yeah, so you're keeping the margin, and so we actually brewed and distributed for an entire year before we opened the tap room. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, so when we did open it up, it was, like, really awesome because people, like, were asking for a year, like, where can we go and have all your beers at the same place? That, that's an interesting point because... Um, some people can fall victim, I've seen this in craft beer, that tap rooms are really profitable, and so it seems like that's the natural first move. 
but then people think of you more as a bar right. that brews their own beer than a brewery that has a tap room. It's, a, it's actually pretty similar to coffee, that mm-hmm. if you have a cafe, they think of you as a cafe that roasts their own coffee as opposed to a roaster that has a True. cafe. And I, and I think either can be successful. I just think at the time, and for us, like a two-person group, it just worked out way better for us. Yeah. And were you canning, canning or bottling when you opened? We weren't doing either. We were just doing draft only. Oh. I mean, we, we were doing draft only for about four years. Whoa. Yeah, and I mean, because every time you package, you're losing, you know, a little bit more margin. You're paying for all those cans, all those labels. You're in our size, we would be paying someone to come in and can it for us. And were people receptive to it being draft only, or was that kind of a bummer? I think it was actually great for our accounts because you can't go to the grocery store and get our stuff. So, like, when we opened up, we had 10 original accounts, and everyone knew where they were, you know, and who they were. So, like, people were going there to get our beer because you couldn't get it anywhere else. Yeah. Wow. So it kind of created a little bit of a, you know, a want for the product. And yeah. then, uh, you know, what really set us to the next step was a beer that everyone started to like. You know, because we, we started with two beers, a pale ale and a saison. And then we did an IPA, and the IPA just, like, took, like, wildfire. The Citropolis? Yeah, Citropolis, yeah. yeah. So that just, like, took our business to the next level. And then, you know, 25 accounts, 50 that's great. And, and so gaining those accounts, do you think it was mostly word of mouth? Is it hitting the street? Is it a combination of both? How's I mean, at, at the beginning, it's definitely, you know, uh, hitting the street. I yeah. mean, and that was not me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was doing the brewing and stuff like that. But, yeah. uh, you know, originally it's definitely hitting the street. And then I feel like after the initial 50 accounts, it was like 50-50, like 50% of the people were calling to get the beer. Yeah. You know, because now there's like 60 breweries in the Brewers Guild in St. Louis, which is ridiculous. 60? Yeah. Um, but back then there weren't that many. There was, you know, six craft breweries. Yeah. Seven, maybe a couple of brew pubs, but like it was easy to like have a presence here. That's crazy. And so now you're at Six Mile Bridge. Right. Uh, and for about t- five months. For about five yeah. months now. Uh, we're October of 2019. Mm-hmm. Had to check the calendar there. Uh, and you're head brewer here now. Yes. Um, and so how's the, how's the shift been? So I'm curious, just like, how's it been going from one brewery to another? Have you had to change your own brewing philosophy? Have you uh, incorporated some of what you were doing into Six Mile? Have you taken Six Miles and uh, made it your own, or is it a combination? How, how does that transition work for a head brewer? Yeah, I was definitely worried about that, like, when I was originally planning on leaving Modern. Um, but actually, I've been really lucky and very fortunate that it's been like a seamless transition um, the owner here, Ryan, who was the head brewer, was very welcoming of all my ideas. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you have to explain yourself, but it, besides that, like, like my first week I brewed my first beer that was my original recipe. Hmm. So it was like, they were wanting me to be here, which is really great. Um, and then, you know, obviously they have their core beers here and beers they do all the time. So yes, I'm brewing those beers, but he also lets me have like a little bit of my artistic approach and use the malts I like or things like that like my practices are the ones that are the practices we use now which is awesome yeah and, and I, I think in anything beverage the work's never done yeah even, oh even if gosh. you have a style yeah. it, you, there's always more depth there's always more that can go into it and same thing in coffee you know it's, there's agricultural products that go into all of this so there's always opportunity right. and so and you know um what i have brought are a lot of my um not more professional but like more seasoned i think uh not abilities either, just like what I've done and what I've learned. <laughs> like, 
trying to pick all the humble words right now. <laughs> right. Like, how do I say Wait, that I'm gonna really, really to good at brewing who's gonna be beer, listening to this but podcast? not say it because I'm being recorded? <laughs> I, just, I just bring my experience and knowledge to the table, and uh, it's just... Well, every now, job I've had, I've had a lot of very educated people and experienced people, so, you know, I don't want to, like, not mention that because no, it's definitely, course. you know... Yeah. Not just me. No, like, the beers at Modern were stellar. Six Mile, even before you're here, awesome yeah. uh, awesome lineup of beers. And but, I, like, I'm actually able to bring what I've learned over the years and, like, you know, make it a staple here. Yeah. Um, which is awesome because, you know. So within these 60, that's still an unbelievable number. Within 60 breweries in St. Louis, what is the feeling now in 2019 uh, of competition or is it a very tight-knit group is it what, what kind of vibe is there within craft beer right now especially in st louis being that you still are in the backyard of budweiser regardless what people think of them they do have incredible resources Definitely. and it's this weird thing where you're kind of all competing against budweiser but you're also making uh, especially with the popularity of certain styles like ipas like how do you what, what is it, the vibe like between all these craft brewers? Do you find you're, you're pretty tight with a lot of them, or how does that work I out? definitely feel like that most of the breweries in this town want to have that tight-knit, like, kumbaya thing, but there's that many breweries, that many tap handles, that many spots on the grocery shelves. There's always going to be competition, yeah. you know? You don't want to, like, specifically target certain breweries, but at the same time, I'm not going to say, oh, no, we don't want to have a tap here because we're taking it from this guy, you right. know? Do you so, self-distribute here? No, we don't. So if a year ago, we went to a distributor. We, or Six Mile, yeah. went to a distributor. Um, so that's very eye-opening for me, especially, like, I've never had to deal with that. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. So to kind of shed light on the distributor side of things, I'll just kind of riff off the, the Sam, Sam Adams days. Right. It's an interesting thing because if you're not in the beer industry and you look at a tap lineup you're like it's got to be so easy to sell beer they've got 20 taps here i could walk in and say well what about this one what about this one it's like it's not really the case if you if you're independently distributed it's it you can look at any beer on tap and say we should be on tap instead of that whereas with distributors you have to consider their network and their portfolio of beers and things that they have on tap already because you don't want to take their business and uh i should i should also mention that in beer and I'm not telling you this, this oh, is yeah. just literally talking out loud now, is that uh, unless you're of the size that you can self-distribute or you're in a state you can self-distribute, that you have to go through a distributor. And so it is, uh, it's a very beneficial thing in many ways, but it creates challenges as well. Right. I mean, and so like to put it in perspective, if we have a tap somewhere now, and let's say our distributor wanted to push another beer, like we can't really even complain because like we don't have that tap line our distributor does. Yeah. So it's very different. I mean, because we still and then have on our the own flip sales side, guys. you're going to have a tap handle pop up you exactly. didn't even know about that's yeah. going to be pouring a ton of beer. Yeah. Like last last Saturday, I went to a, a wine bar with my wife and our beer was on tap and I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> that's, that's actually really funny to think about. It's, you know what's great about a distributor is the um, grocery store market. Like, I mean, because mm. they're going in and they're pushing all that stuff and like, you know, our sales guys are going there, of course, you know, to look at it and things like that. But, like, you're definitely put into position through your distributor. Yeah. Awesome. So I think that's a good place uh, to kind of transition into uh, what we're here to talk about is coffee beer. So obviously, this is a coffee-themed podcast, I think. <laughs> uh, and so my thoughts on coffee beers in general is that the history of them has always been a dark roasted coffee goes into a very dark beer, typically a porter or a stout. People can be simple. 
You, know? you keep it simple. Porters and stouts have dark roasted malts. A dark roasted coffee has almost an identical flavor profile to dark roasted malts. And so you're like, yeah, that tastes like coffee. You can't miss. Yeah. I've, I've always said that, like, if you use a bunch of dark malt, it kind of tastes like it has coffee in exactly. it anyway. And so that's, that's been how things have been. And I think continue to be that the most typical style you see is a coffee stout. Now, right now I'm looking at the menu and you do have a coffee maple stout we do. on tap. And so in approaching that one, how do you consider uh, which the malt bill that's being used, meaning the malts that you're having the recipe of the beer, and uh, how much thought is going into uh, the uh, origin of the coffee, the blend of the coffee, the roast level of it, how it's being prepared? Yeah, so I prefer my coffee beers in balance um, because if I just want coffee, I'll just have coffee. <laughs> if that makes sense, because I'm a huge, like people probably call me a coffee snob, but I love coffee. Yeah. So. But in, in, in this case, we also have maple syrup in that beer. So you want to get the maple syrup. You want to get the coffee. You also want it to taste like beer. Mm. You know, so when I'm thinking about the coffee we're going to use, I want to get like the most coffee flavor I can get that's balanced, mm -hmm. like I said, but not be too acidic and not be too roasty and like give a bitter astringency. Yeah. So we don't use any coffee in the warm side of the brewing process. Okay. Because when you do it in the kettle and things like that, it's during a boil, and you're going to get a little bit more astringency and roast notes. And I'm counting on my malt bill yeah. for my roast notes. So we actually do a cold brew that's added to the post-fermentation beer. Because the, the boil is at least like 60 minutes. At least, yeah. There are – I didn't – so there are some brewers – putting the ground coffee at that point or coffee beans yeah. in the boil? The ground beans, yeah. And I've done that before. Interesting. And I am shocked it didn't come out more astringent because your typical brew time on a single cup of coffee would be like three minutes. And I think usually when you add the grounds to the beer, you're doing the last five minutes or in the whirlpool. Okay, but, there you, you know, go. I'm just being yeah. odd in my description. No, definitely. But, so you're just, you want enough to where you're getting a little bit of that roast character? So adding at the end of the boil so that you're basically brewing the coffee during the boil yep. phase before it's cooked. So it, you're getting those aromas of a fresh pot of coffee, basically. And that is ground coffee at that point? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think it kind of defeats the purpose not to grind the coffee because you get the more surface area. Right. I, I mentioned that because I've talked to a lot of people that throw whole beans in there. I'm like, <laughs> well, that was a good waste of coffee. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Maybe it turns no. out great. I don't know. No, it, it doesn't. It never does. And when they go, oh, I taste the coffee in that one, I go, that's the dark roasted malts yeah. you're tasting. You just poured coffee beans and then filtered them out. But I know my IBUs when I'm going in, so the IBU is like the bitterness of the beer. Yeah. So if you don't take that in consideration, if you're doing it the hot side, it can be way more bitter than mm. you want it to be. Like, on accident, I mean, obviously. So you've done it in the boil. How'd you do it for this one, for this coffee maple stout? Strictly cold brew. Strictly cold brew. Yeah, after fermentation. So the beer's almost done, and then we add the cold brew and mix it up, uh, you know, obviously sanitarily. And did you do the cold brew yourself, or? So um, we were going to, but I have a friend that owns a coffee company called Cuba uh, here in St. Louis, and he does all single origin coffees, and I know that he does cold brew for a farmer's market. So I reached out to him so I didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> and I love his coffee in general. Uh, and he said he would do it for sure, and mm -hmm. so he did all the cold brew. I went there, sanitary tank, filled it up, and then added it. Awesome. So. And how much thought goes into, because you kind of mentioned coffee flavor. You <clears> want this <throat> coffee flavor in it. Uh, how much thought goes into which origin is being brewed or roasted yeah. and like which flavors you want to get into the beer? So in the past when I've done stuff with them, uh, we've done like Sumatra mm -hmm. or we did a Brazil once, mm -hmm. uh, a Peru. And um, I've had his cold brew before, and I feel like it's really well balanced. So it's it, he uses an Ethiopian, he uses a Brazil, he uses a Peru, and a Sumatra, all in the same one. Mm. 
So you're getting some dark notes, yeah. but not the bitterness. You're getting the fruity notes of like that Ethiopian. You're getting a little bit of acidity. It's just like a really balanced cold brew. And um, yeah, that's a really great blend. The, yeah. the Sumatra is going to give you kind of that traditional like really deep roasty profile that yeah. people are talking about. Um, and even just hearing you talk about that thought process, this is not, like 99% more than anybody's doing out there when they think about it. Um, Awesome. And so, was it a cold brew concentrate? Yes. Yeah. So we also don't want to water it down too much with water. You know, right. obviously coffee is part water. And beer is mostly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, we have like strict alcohol limitations. You know, from you know TTP and blah blah. You know, we don't want to water it down. We want it to be within a certain range. Yeah. And you know, flavor profile and body and everything like that. So I thought the concentrate would be a lot easier to monitor. And so to give an idea of the proportion here, what's the size? of the amount of beer that's being brewed to the coffee concentrate that you use that went into it. So it was about a gallon of concentrate cold brew per barrel of beer, and a barrel of beer is 31 gallons. Okay, so like three parts per hundred. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So n not a ton, but I mean Probably coffee Probably pretty flavor, concentrate too. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, he would normally like water that down almost probably times two. Yeah, so yeah, the, the, the kind of classic cold brew concentrate ratio pound of coffee for a gallon of cold brew that makes it concentrate that most people cut that half yeah, half and yeah. serve it or put it over ice with a little bit of water whatever it may be so just to <laughs> recap that like 30 31 gallons of beer gallon of concentrate is the ratio you're doing because th that came out super balanced there's clearly yeah. a coffee profile in there and i like that you did specify that you're getting some fruity notes from the ethiopian that's i always say that's weird when people go it's coffee flavored i'd be like that it's like saying something's red wine flavored it's like <laughs> it's like i kind of get it like yeah. i get what you're going after but it's just not quite there well when we talk to people in the tasting room all the time like I feel like they have the, the general knowledge, but they don't know how to like tell it to someone that actually knows what's going on, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like, oh, I get a lot of coffee notes. I'm like, yeah, well, it has coffee in the, in the, in the thing. You know? yeah. Well, what's the, the roasty character? I'm like, well, it's the malt. Well, I thought that, you know, since it smells like coffee and coffee can be roasty, like you're getting it from that. I was like, no, we use cold brew, you know, so it doesn't have that roasty, like approachable, like nose, like you would get from the malts. But I mean, I think, they generally are trying to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, it's interesting seeing what's happened in craft beer and how deep people get into their understanding of tasting notes and oh, I'm tasting the hops here, I'm tasting this here, I'm tasting that. And coffee is not there. Uh, I I think, and I've I've said this multiple times. I think coffee's ten to fifteen years behind craft beer in the sense that people don't even know what a processing method of a coffee is. It, even though that determines the flavor profile of a coffee like crazy. Like I was at Blueprint this morning, natural Ethiopian. So it's just like a cup of like blueberries and fruity pebbles. If someone didn't know what a natural process was, they're just like, oh, this place has funky beans. <laughs> or they would think it was like closer to a tea, I think. Exactly. And so uh, it's interesting. And I think it's getting there. And actually, I do think that craft beer is like an entryway for people to think about it. It's like this, it's something that's already present, coffee beers, but how do we, and this is kind of part of what I want to talk about, it's like how do we do it in a collaboration where people are not only thinking about the beer, but they're also like, what notes am I getting on this beer from the coffee? Not just like, oh, mm -hmm. this is coffee flavor. <clears throat> and so an interesting trend in Minneapolis that I alluded to earlier, but I wanted to save it while we're recording, is uh, I moved back to Minnesota in 2017. So I graduated high school in 2000. 
13. What high school did you go to? Uh, <laughs> what the, why is that in Minnesota? <laughs> that doesn't mean anything here, and it confuses people that I didn't go to high school here. Uh, and so I graduated in 2013, and I moved, no, no, two, that was college, I'm sorry, uh, 2009, and I moved back in 2017, so I'm gone for eight years during the craft beer boom in the right. Twin Cities, and so I get back, and there's a lot of breweries that maybe I've heard of, maybe I haven't, a lot of beers I'm really unfamiliar with, but something I noticed right away was almost every single brewery seems to have a light ale or lager infused with coffee. And I'm like, this is really weird. Because you would think Minnesota, cold 360 days out of 365. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you would think that like stout and porter would be what everybody's pouring. Now, I kind of did a little bit of research, and it seems, and I'll say that just because... So it's hearsay, okay. Yeah, it's, it seems that uh, Modest Brewery was one of the first to do it. And they do it with Wesley Andrews, who's an awesome roaster that we've collaborated with. And they have a, a coffee lager. Ah. And so it's a super, super clean style of beer. And so the coffee profile is just like right in your face. But you look at it, and it's a really light lager. And that was kind of the first thing that I saw where I go, this is so different. Like you look at it, mm -hmm. and you expect a pale ale or a light lager, and then you smell it, and you taste it. You're like, this, this is like super rich and almost chocolatey. I think m most of the times I've tried a coffee beer that is a lighter beer it seems like it's like too much coffee in your in, like right in your face or too much bitter it's just like it doesn't make sense i feel like it's hard to find one that it's a perfect interpretation of the you know the combination yeah that's like half the fun of that beer oh, yeah, yeah. it's just the novelty of it and i think you're perfect i think you're totally right there is that it's like it's it's really cool and different and interesting uh, but what I want to explore today is we, we had discussed previously the potential of doing two different beer styles with two different types of coffee, trying to focus on one that's more traditional and then one that's more out there and eccentric and maybe something somebody hasn't done before. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a crazy style for me. It just has to be not a dark roasted coffee and an imperial stout or a porter or something. You know, those are... Not easy. I don't want to say they're easy, but like those are the, that's the simplest combination. It, it makes sense. It's yeah. like, what should I put in this cookie? I don't know, maybe chocolate chips. That'd probably be pretty good. <laughs> right, you can't miss <laughs> that's, that. that's a lot of coffee, Imperial Stout. It's like that. Oh, I mean, I've still had bad chocolate chip cookies, but in general, I've, the combination. I've had good. bad coffee, Imperial Stout. <laughs> yeah, I won't name names, but they're out there. Right. Uh, and so I think the, the, the obvious styles are in interesting and I think the cool thing there is we can explore well what could we do to try to improve that process and then move into what style of beer and what is more unique and I, I'd like to in between those two is kind of uh, uh, discuss maybe your favorites of that and then Definitely. when we flip kind of like what have you tried on the other side uh, that's a little more out there and different. And so, in terms of coffee beers, and I'm putting you totally on the spot, yeah, definitely geez. did not prepare here. <laughs> Just off the top of your head, what are some kind of traditional coffee beers that you've had that stick out as like, this is a, this is a great example of that? I feel like every single coffee Bourbon County I've ever had it is like a, a clear, great beer. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know why. I, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people hate on the Bourbon County sometimes, you know, because it's owned by AB InBev now. It's you know? Goose Island. Yeah, yeah. Who's bought out by Budweiser. But man, I <laughs> still get my Black Friday, <laughs> you know, yeah. bottles of Bourbon so County. So to put this in perspective for the, the people who don't know that there's an underground craft beer nursery, <laughs> uh, uh, Bourbon County is a beer that's released every Thanksgiving. It is usually above 15% alcohol. It's kind of the first 
uh, bourbon barrel aged beer that was created by Goose Island out of Chicago. And it's got a crazy cult following. Yeah. People like leave their families around you Thanksgiving. Have to get it t- you, like there's a whole day to go out there and get in line before it's open to the public. And I, I have this hipster gene in me where I want to hate things that everybody <laughs> loves. And I like, I know this about myself. I try not to do it, but if everybody loves it, I just, well, that's not that good. And I got that one and I'm like, that's, that's yeah. better than what well, everyone I'm always said. like, man, I'll, ne- I'll never wait in line for beer. You know, I'm like, yeah, Bourbon County is great, but there's a million other great Imperial Stouts that don't get that kind of recognition, but still, I buy my three goes, bottles. That line's the- not that long. <laughs> I'm just, just going to go super right, fast. Right. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, the coffee variety of the Bourbon County. Every that- time I've gotten it, it's killer. just stellar. Absolutely And, you know, killer. a lot of those, you know, craft beer guys, you know, will sit on that for a year. I'm like, oh, there goes the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Age it out. Yeah. Um, any others off the top of your head that you can think of? Uh, no, I hear there's a good one in modern, this uh, coffee chocolate stout called Arkham's Finest, but, you know. It's- <laughs> <laughs> the one that you brewed? Yeah. yeah I heard that's killer, bro. Uh, 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 perennial. Um, oh, yeah. There's uh, Sump. Sump, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Sump, this, it's funny because I come from the beer world, uh, and the name of this beer is Sump. It's a coffee imperial stout. And I was like, it, you just hear kind of like Bourbon County, you hear like, oh, man, you really have to go out of your way to find this. And uh, the funny thing is it's called Sump because it uses Sump coffee, which if anybody knows me, they know one of my original cups of coffee that got me obsessed with this was Sump in St. Louis when I was living in Southern Illinois. And so that's a great example, I think, of a great brewery, Perennial, puts out amazing beer, and a roaster that's one of the best in the country. And they're both very particular about how they do things. And you just result in just an extra layer of flavor, extra layer of complexity, full-bodied with your traditional, like you get the warmth because it's a high alcohol beer, you get the sweetness of the chocolate, but then the coffee balances it out. But it's not like a bitter roastiness. It's like a, um, it's just like the kind of dark chocolate. There's a ton of depth coming from that beer. I don't know if it's the malts, if it's both the malts and the coffee. You know, I think my original coffee beer I ever had was um, the Caldi's Schlafly collaboration. They're their, their coffee stout, and I remember loving that beer down in their tap room. Yeah. Um, or like uh, Schlafly's like the original, know, yeah, yeah like the original St. Louis OG yeah, craft brewery. Brewery, yeah. Or like uh, another local brewery, Second Shift has like an LSD beer. They call it. I mean, liquid, liquid spiritual delight, so don't get too confused. <laughs> but they have a Blueprint version of that, which is awesome. And Blueprint's another amazing roaster here. And that's the, that's the funny thing about St. Louis is you've got a couple, like these roasters that are putting things out that are recognized on a national level. And I got fortunate that when I fell in love with coffee, I was drinking coffee from them, and I was just like, wow, this must be how all this coffee is <laughs> when it's roasted yeah. by a small micro roaster, which Definitely. I learned quickly is not the case, and I just grew to appreciate what they do even more. Um, I, I think another one, this falls in between. The most popular one in Minnesota is probably uh, Surly's Coffee Bender, oh, yeah. which is a brown ale. And I will say it's kind of in between. A brown ale isn't a super classic style for coffee, but it is on the darker side. Yeah, it the, makes sense. The, the notes of the beer make sense. Yeah, that. chocolatey richness to it. And that one, man, that's, they, they nail it with that yeah. one. And I so think, I, I think that's probably the that's Minnesota one, one yeah. that is like the classic coffee beer that people look at. And I'm sure there's someone, uh, all one follower we have yelling about one that I'm not, <laughs> I, I can't think of. I know, on the spot, you know, I didn't, I didn't have my notes here. So. Yeah, that's, that's, not how we, that's not how we're planning on doing things. And so on the beer side, how would you approach, so 
is this all in theory or do you actually want to do this? No, this is going to happen. Okay, I, just want, I, yeah, I, th- yeah. I thought we were. I just had never really confirmed it before we started recording. And so what are you thinking on the beer side as the base? Because I think you could go one of two ways. I think it's better to start with the beer and then find a coffee that fits it because of the complexity that goes into building a malt, building flavor profile. And the range of flavors in a, a coffee is so extreme that you can figure out a way to do it. I would say the exact same thing to you. Okay. You know, I mean, like, it's that easy. Like, I think there's so much complexity on either side that you could build it either way. But at the same time, like, like I said, I like balanced coffee profiles. Yeah. But I also want them to make sense. Like, yeah. so, like, we don't want to do, I've had a couple coffee IPAs, and I just think there's no place that can be good. And that's just my profile, like my uh, flavor. I would 100% agree with you, <laughs> you on know? that. That's one where you take a sip and you're like, that's cool because I've never tasted that before. Then you take your second t- taste and you go, I don't need to Yeah, it's like, it okay, well, one ounce was enough. So, <laughs> But like when you were talking about the lagers, I just had this huge like thing in my head. Like, I love amber lagers because I think they're balanced with the crisp. Like, I feel like that could be approachable for a lighter roast or a darker roast mm-hmm. of coffee. Or we could go off the wall and do a big Belgian style. You know, and if you go the triple it's, route. It's, yeah, see, so talking strictly classic styles right yeah. now, I, I, there's two ways in my mind you can go for it. You can take a coffee and say, this is going to enhance the richness and sweetness of this beer. And that's one route you could go. And the origins that immediately come to mind would be South American, like uh, Brazil or even, uh, not South American now, but Peru have really great sweet coffees mm. that have a really nice rich chocolatey nature to them and roasted to bring out the sweetness. Even the Guatemalan coffee we have right now with a really uh, nice sweetness to it, uh, you could roast that to increase the overall richness and sweetness. But I worry that adding that to an already rich style like a stout or a porter get lost a little bit it'll get lost and potentially just be too much of a good thing like yeah. you ever had like a huge slice of flourless chocolate cake first half of it is like the greatest thing right ever. and then you're like okay. and by the end of it you're like <laughs> i hate myself why didn't we split this why am i still eating this <laughs> why did i just order a second piece what is my life who am yeah. Uh, it's like me when I get a, like a 22 ounce imperial stout that I've waited to drink for you know two years and I have it by myself. I'm like, oh. well, it's, yeah, and that's the tough part about not having friends too. It's <laughs> like those 22 ounce bottles are really tough when They're you don't have friends. They're definitely overrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the where I flip to is I, I I now I'm a huge fan of natural coffees. I just always have been. They're kind of frowned upon in specialty coffee. Because some people, so the natural coffee, for those who don't know, is the cherry that is surrounding the bean, the coffee bean, which is a seed. Uh, it is dried naturally in the sun, which causes fermentation to occur, which creates these really fruity flavors. In Ethiopians, it comes across typically as blueberry. Mm. And so I think about something like that and be like, that could be an interesting depth of flavor into something that's complementary to the richness and sweetness of an imperial stout without like just adding more to that aspect of it. Right, and my only concern would be like that you don't get enough of the coffee. And so you, okay, so I'm gonna take that and say a natural Ethiopian that's roasted, not, so not roasted past second crack because that's where you lose some of the more uh, nuanced flavors, but potentially right before. So we typically roast our coffees uh, just after first crack where you get a lot of that brightness, mm-hmm. but that could be lost uh, because it's a more delicate tasting note. And so I think 
what we're talking about is like a medium, uh, like medium plus kind of roast just before second crack. So it's not oily, it's not, it's not burnt tasting. Uh, it's got a lot of sweetness, but the blueberry is still coming through. We actually do have a natural Ethiopian we have right now. So that's just convenient. Man, if only I had a sample here to try. Uh, well, I have it, but it's <laughs> in my suitcase at Joe's place. Okay, so let's lock that in. Let's say a natural Ethiopian that's roasted just before second crack to bring out enough intensity of that like traditional roasty profile, but still the nuanced flavors are there. So on the beer side, how do you? So when you're looking at a traditional coffee beer. The base of a coffee beer. What kind, and we're thinking stouts and porters. Definitely, that's like the original way to think. You know. So, so when you're compiling a malt bill, how do you approach that when you're looking at those styles? What percentage of what type of malt are you looking to use? So usually your base malt, your pale, your pilsner, which is just like going to give you the most diacetic power, all these different sugars, blah blah blah. You know, it's the base of your beer. It's going to be eighty to ninety percent of your malt bill, depending on the specialties you use. That's the pale malt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I typically like to do on a stout is use like a very English style one, like a, I don't know, Maris Otter or Golden Promise. And those ones have a, like a little bit more biscuit and sometimes toffee, but more like cereal flavors coming out. So it gives like a little, little bit more depth of flavor. And then you use your roasted barley, which traditionally gives a lot of roasted character, obviously, like it says. Um, but I use a little bit of that. I don't use it too much because it gives sometimes an astringent flavor. Um, Weyermann, one of the biggest uh, German maltsters, has these specialty products that are like, um, they're called Carafa. And it's like these huskless um, grains. So like the husk is taken off so it doesn't have the ability to have those stringy flavors. Huh. So it gives chocolate, it gives sweetness, it gives a little bit of roast character but no bitterness. Is that, that's like their sales pitch, let's call it. Yeah. That, is that the one where you have to use like rice husks in it? Yeah, well, so a stout is what you would use the rice holes in. Okay. Just in general, because it helps lift the grain bed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, stuff like that, like these and ones that will live in then chocolate mold. fact, by the way. <laughs> the yeah, you get a point for the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got done doing a 3% or three, uh, 8% stout, so I I'm, had my fill of rice holes. <laughs> okay. So the, and you, what was it, the craft? That's that The carafa. The carafa, and yeah. that's... A craft is a coffee. Too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the carafa is a hustless, and so that that you risk less of that astringency coming yeah. through. Yeah. So, you, but you get a depth of chocolate still, and you get some roast characters, but not the bitter parts. Yeah, and astringency to me is when you have a beer or coffee, and it finishes on the tongue, and it's just like dry and yeah. unpleasant. So it's like it's it's similar to bitterness, but it is different. It's yeah. like it, it's it's an unpleasant, like not refreshing kind of thing. Yeah, and like that dryness, if you're not doing it on purpose. You know, that can affect the beer for sure. Yeah. Um, I do like dryness in beers, but not on accident. <laughs> yeah. And so... So you have all these different depths of chocolate or, you know, dark chocolate, uh, the roast character. And, you know, I think in general, stouts are better or less simple. So, like, five ingredients or less. Hmm. But a lot of people are just trying to throw every special tea grain they can in there. But then, you you know, I would add oats, like flaked oats. You know, it gives, like, a, a texture and a, a mouthfeel of the beer. Yeah, oats add kind of uh, unfermentable sugar that increases the body of a beer. Yeah, so it's going to give like a definite mouthfeel. So it's going to make a beer feel thicker on your tongue. Yeah. You know, go from like a really light light stout to, you know, your motor oil. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think one of the major misconceptions in beer is that if it's not an IPA, it's not hoppy or it doesn't have hops. Uh, 
what kind of so uh, what ABV are you, do you want to aim for for something like this? So uh, what I'm thinking is if we were going to go with dark coffee, that you go higher alcohol. But I think if you're going light, like an Ethiopia, you want it to be more approachable so you don't lose. Because, I mean, alcohol, I mean, is not just a number. You know, it definitely has a flavor profile. You know, as it gets higher, you're going to get more sweetness out of your beer. Huh. A like, you definitely warmth, but I've never thought about sweetness. Yeah, like that makes uh, sense. double IPAs that are over 10%. You definitely taste the alcohol, and it tastes sweeter. Oh, that's a I don't good know if that's point. just perception or something, some kind of flavor thing in your mouth, but I always do my double IPAs at nine percent or less. Hmm. So, I, I, you don't get that extra sweetness. And so, what uh, ABV do you think you're aiming for for this? So, it, also based on the body, but I think somewhere between five and a half and seven and a half percent. Nice. You know, so it's not like watery. You yes. know, but so it's, got some, it's got some. You know. How, how big a, I'm so far out of the game, how, how, what kind of a hop bill would you use for that? And what is your goal of the hops you're using so I think in a goal, beer where yeah. you're like, it's not hoppy? Well, this doesn't have hops. It, it doesn't taste like hops. I don't smell yeah. them. The goal of the hops in this beer would be just for balance. So that's another you know, like misconception. They think like that a beer, if it's sweet, it has no hops. It's like, no, they're just like lower. You know, it's like, so we did an Imperial Stout at Modern and it was 10%. It was 100 IBUs just for balance because you don't want to get unnecessary sweetness. It's uh, international bittering units. Yes, yes. Uh, what would a pale ale or like a Pilsner, what would an IBU be? Under 20 oh, so on a Pilsner. Like literally yeah. five times more bitter. Right. Or, you know, and perceived bitterness is different than IBUs. Exactly, too. yeah. Oh, and so that actually that goes full circle to what you're exactly, saying. It's a exactly. 100 IBU beer, and yet it's super sweet. Whereas exactly. if you have... Uh, double IPA that's a really light base that's going to be extremely bitter yeah so I mean like even on a double IPA if you try to go like 30 IBUs because you don't want to be bitter you know those are my hand quotes <laughs> for people that can't see it <laughs> for anyone it can come off really sweet because you have the higher alcohol and then you have like the all the malts yeah you know then you don't have any oomph behind it to stand up to it and so what IBU would you picture for a beer that is somewhere around six percent uh, has somewhat of a roasty profile, but really aiming more for the sweetness and complexity yeah. of the coffee. So at least 20, if not, you know, all the way up to 35, depending on the kind of coffee we'd use. And what would happen if you went too heavy on the hop, uh, hop additions versus too light? Yeah, well, if you go too light, it could come off like cloying, like really sweet. It's like too sweet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's not definitely not what you want. You want a sweetness, but you want the sweetness to be from the malt and the coffee, not like sweetness on your palate, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you, you want those flavors of caramel and things like that, but you don't want it to be, like, sweet, like making your teeth hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but on the opposite spectrum, if you go too bitter, then it's going to be, like, maybe use too much coffee. And when you're too bitter, you just, like, miss out on the flavors of the Like, across your tongue, there's so many different, like, flavor perceptives. You know, like, if it's too bitter, you're going to lose out on everything. And how do you think we should add this coffee? Definitely cold brew. So I'll probably uh, ship them to your, to, yeah, to your boy. Yeah. Oh, well, we can do it here. I was just you know trying yeah. to be lazy and have someone else do it for me. Being lazy is <laughs> often viewed as a negative thing, but most innovation comes out of exactly. laziness. We're like, you know yeah. what? I don't have like doing... someone that knows what they're doing do it, and then <laughs> I don't like doing more stuff. How do I do less stuff? Right. And that, that's how you get it done. All right. So that that style's locked in. We're talking somewhere between a five and a half to seven and a half percent uh, stout. 
using a natural Ethiopian that is roasted to before second crack with an IBU of somewhere between probably 20 and 30, just enough hop additions to be able to balance out the natural sweetness you're gonna get from the sugar content of the malt uh, platform and some sweetness from the coffee, but because it's roasted to just before second crack, that will be really balanced. It won't be super sweet. It definitely won't be roasty and bitter. I'm getting thirsty. Yeah, that's that's a solid. That I'm. That's like that's a classic profile yeah. right there. That to me just screams coffee beer. That's to but me. I think a lot of people would mess it up and just try to go like a Sumatra and just like yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So then you don't know what you're getting from the malt, what you're getting from the coffee. Yeah. Well, it's, and that's that's a good point that I think most brewers I've worked with because we worked with a few breweries now, they just they either just say we need coffee and I go what type yeah. would you like and they say. I just I just need five pounds of coffee. I don't just make sure it's yeah. roasted. And the, the good thing I don't want green beans. The good thing is being from a beer background, I can be what style is it for? They tell me a style, and I can pick the. And yeah. So that's actually been a fun way to be able to influence it. Is I just go Definitely. this one will be great. But the cool thing is when you make a good choice for them. So they're like I, I don't know it's a it's a porter. And I go dude, we have this Brazilian that's like peanut butter. Use this one, and it comes out. And they're like this one tastes way better in the past. And you're like this is why. Then they're like you choose it, or they ask, or they think about it, which is, that's kind of the big point for me as a coffee roaster on this side, is there should be thought going into the coffee. Not just, I need something that tastes like just dark, because that's not the best part of coffee. And it's it's like, okay, we'll just get some Folgers Instant, dump it in there. Like, that'll give you that that profile, (laughs) honestly. Um, So that's locked in. So transitioning into... Let's just let's call it innovative beer styles. Do you have any examples off the top of your head? The only example I don't want to try, and I say I don't want to try it, but I'm I'm into it if you want to. But like an IPA coffee with IPA. coffee. We won't name any names, but like <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely can think of a few. I mean, <laughs> I mean and maybe it's like uh, in my head, I, I just can't make it make sense on my palate. <laughs> I also it's, just don't think it makes sense. Go like I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. I also don't like the style, but for the sake of argument. I will say, if you got the right style of hops, so if you used all Pacific Northwest hops with really, really fruit forward. Uh, yeah, you're going a- tropical fruit. Yeah, yeah, lime. aromatic. So yeah. I'm thinking. Lemon zest. Yeah, I'm thinking what, like, like citra, get some lemon notes in there, uh, mosaic, get like a grapefruit. Yeah, but that's like fun. super dank, too. Yeah, that is dank, which is. Like lemon drop would be one. Yeah, yeah. Or like yeah. mandarina. Mandarina is yeah, so yeah, yeah, soft. Yeah, yeah. Mandarina would be a great one. So if you got hops like that, you had very, very few early boil additions so that the bittering hops, which yeah, are Yeah, so added, no bitterness. So no bittering hops, and they're added all late boil right. and then a heavy dry hopping phase to get a lot of just aromatics out of it. And then you use an extremely light roasted coffee that I would go something like Kenyan, like a high altitude Kenyan fully washed hmm. would have a really bright, grapefruit-like acidity. See, now that I've said I hated that style, I kind of want to... You want to try it. But see, but see here's the I thing. I kind of want to improve the mistake. You know? it's, it's, let's keep that on the table. That's a thought. That would be interesting. My only worry with that is that the aromatics and flavor of the coffee would kind of just blend exactly into the... Or mask one or the other. The hop profile. Which is exactly what we're talking about yeah. with dark beers, is that 
well, why do you do a dark roasted Sumatra when you already have dark roasted malts and you've got that roasty profile? But that's that's devil's advocate there. Yeah. Is that there there is but the ones I've had, that's not the approach. It's like you get that traditional kind of chocolatey yeah. coffee note. You're like, all right, and even you okay. Well, it's like, oh, that was good for half a beer. Yeah, it, it's it's now the, I have a six pack. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a novelty for the sake of yeah. novelty, which I'm not a huge fan. But it's, you know, it's interesting for sure. Well, my other thing, so like I said, I, I love coffee. But my palate in coffee, like the descriptor words, like it, it's not as well-versed like in beer. Yeah, so like when I buy coffee, I love reading the descriptions mm-hmm. of what someone else in the industry, oh, the, well, the coffee industry, obviously, says the coffee is supposed to be like. And I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. So I'm reading it. It throws ideas in my head. But when I'm drinking it, I don't necessarily this, get it. This are, are, the, a, are they yeah. trying to be like too smart? Yeah. yeah, it's 100%. <laughs> it's okay. like, wow, that sounds awesome, right. but it also sounds like I've tea. I've definitely said this before, but when I cup with Jeff, so Folly Jeff, he's unbelievable palate. Uh, his vocabulary has increased tenfold in the past year on coffee tasting notes. Uh, the things he's tasting, when he says them, I go, you're right, like that's there. That's savory tomato, oh my God, like, that's totally there. Huh. It, 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 I, but like, if you gave it to somebody and said, what does this taste like? Unless somebody is trained, unless somebody has that palate, unless somebody has all these factors that go into being able to identify these hard to identify aromas and flavors, they're not going to taste that. And so when you tell them that, they're like, I didn't get it. And so we keep our flavor profiles very simple for that reason. More just like this is fruity and sweet. This one is nutty and chocolatey. And then we leave it up to the person at the end that can be as far as you want to go. Most people, that's true. Yeah. Or if you really want to analyze it, these coffees are still of that quality that those tasting. And then I think they have their own experiences that they associate flavors with. Yeah, and and the, and the difficulty is, I always make fun of the one Fruit Loops and coffee, even though I literally just said it about the natural Ethiopian I had, <laughs> is that when you say that, Fruit Loops is a very intense flavor. Like it's all sugar, and yeah. so it's like. Boom, that's Fruit Loops. Whereas a coffee, it's a subtle tasting note that's layered in everything. It's naturally processed. Yeah. But that's, yeah. And so for, for beer styles, I'm trying to think of. So I, I'll, I think I'll, going light. You got to go with a yeah, light I'll style. I'll loop back to Modest. Uh, First Call is the name of the beer. And they do the coffee with Wesley Andrews. I don't know the type of coffee, but it is, it's a strong, like classic chocolatey profile in a very light lager. So the coffee profile comes through very very clearly that would be simple to do with like an amber lager and it is cool because when you look at it you don't expect it which is a bit of novelty but it is delicious yeah um in terms of other styles that haven't been approached ipa would be the one where you say well don't approach that but it got done (laughs) and you're like yeah i don't let's just say i don't know anybody that that's worked out for or that they're like, I love drinking that yeah. beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait till that coffee IPA. Yeah, comes just that back. nice, refreshing coffee <laughs> IPA. Uh, but the lighter roast that like people are doing now in the coffee industry, like, makes me think like a saison, like a Belgian. Mm, I was gonna say Belgian. You know, I'm telling you, like a saison or like a triple, you know, because it's lighter in color and flavor profile, and you know, like it's fruit forward. Okay, it's got, so so for people who don't explain what you consider to be a traditional saison. Well, like a saison, it basically just means season, you know? So basically, traditionally, you would just brew with herbs or, you know, barley and 
hops of the season. You know, like uh, later in the year, you use darker malts. Early in the year, you use something light and refreshing. You know, in summer, you know, you want it to be very light in alcohol. So it's, it's just of the season, but it, it should be like a barnyard flavor, farmhouse. Like, it can be crisp, but like dry is essential. Uh, a little bit of phenolics. You know, phenolics being kind of spicy, like, yeah, notes. and peppery, not, or, not like not a, too much clove, but a little bit. Spice in, yeah, 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 I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, and then the hops they use are definitely like traditionally saz, like are spicy. Yeah, like black pepper, yeah. spicy. Uh, I think of Boulevard, a touch of banana sometimes. Yeah, I think of you know? Boulevard Tank Seven, which is oh yeah, classic. Which is kind of like. I would almost consider that an American saison because yeah. Americans take every classic style and they say let's they make this bigger. <laughs> well, yeah. well, and then they say let's make it bigger and higher alcohol. My so. favorite of all time is saison dupont. Saison dupont. That's my favorite of all time. I even like that you did the little yeah. accent. That sounded really nice. <laughs> no one convi- can convince me there's a better interpretation of the style. Oh, now you say Belgian saison. That's kind of where that yeah. seems kind of sexy. If you could like get um, some lemongrass flavors from you know, your lighter roast, or something similar to that, like where it would show off or add to the already aromatic Saison. And so, traditionally with a Saison, would you be adding any herbs or spices? Or, yeah, I you guess could it's, use you coriander. can do whatever. I mean, it's of the mm. season, like I said. Like, and coriander gives kind of that orangey. Oh yeah. yeah, it's very intense. Or use orange peel, sweet orange peel, you know, there's a million things you can do to a Saison. So I'm trying to think of a coffee that's got a very floral profile, and if possible, instead of cold brewing it, and only cold brewing it, of somehow hot pre-infusing it and then cold brewing it. So if you take the coffee that's going to go into it, hit it with hot water first, let that hit for 30 seconds about. And I'll reach out to Brandon, who does all our cold brewing at Filtera to make sure. So you're like flashing it a little bit to get some different character or? Yeah, because when you brew hot, you get more of the delicate notes out, the floral aromatics, the bright citrus fruit forwardness in a coffee. So that's, that's why specialty coffee people in general don't like cold brew because it just comes out very sweet uh, yeah now something like an ethiopian a natural ethiopian has such a strong fruit forward flavor that when you cold brew it it's still very present but something i'm picturing like a washed ethiopian has a really like t- depending on the region a really nice floral aromatic it has uh, some really nice delicate citrus notes mm. to it that if you could brew it hot and then flash chill it so it wouldn't even be technically a cold brew at that point. It would be a, it, almost like an iced coffee yeah. that you, you brew it hot. And that's the big difference between iced coffee and cold brew is that an iced coffee is brewed hot and immediately chilled on yeah. ice. Uh, a cold brew is brewed cold for 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, and this is, this is cool because this kind of plays in the both sides. That is a crazy style and thinking about how the coffee goes into it a different way. Uh, could we flash brew... Uh, washed Ethiopian uh, so by flash brew I mean brew it hot and then immediately chill it and then that's what goes into the beer. Nice, that sounds good. I think that would definitely work as long as you're not getting like and this is definitely not the way you'd want to describe your coffee but those like muddier flavors you get with Sumatra brewed hot. 
you know? Yeah, no, it's with a washed Ethiopia yeah. brewed right after first crack, it's not going to get muddy. Earthy would be good in that style, but you don't want it to be like too much deeper in flavor. Yeah, than. You, you wouldn't get, yeah. I don't think you would get uh, that in this profile. Ah, that sounds awesome. I need to think on that one and how you might do it, but I think if you just... Almost like you're treating it like a tea, almost. Yeah, and if you got it chilled fast enough, the filter, the speed of filtration wouldn't be urgent. So it wouldn't be like a pour-over where it's yeah. like, if this brew isn't done in three and a half minutes, it's going to start to get astringent <laughs> and bitter. I think if you brewed it hot and then flash-chilled it in an efficient way, uh, which like literally using a wort chiller would probably be the best way, yeah. is have a wort chiller... Uh, W-O-R-T, that's a beer thing, uh, <laughs> and have a word chiller that you're literally just stirring all the grounds and everything in there, still there, yeah. chill that immediately, and then that ends up going yeah. in there. Except and a word chiller would probably take too long, though. It, it literally have to be like a thing. Immediately? Yeah, like ice. Like, could you go concentrated enough to where you'd have to, like, add ice? I think you could do that. I think if you did a really high ratio of water to coffee grounds and then immediately iced it, immediately iced it, just like you make, you're cognizant of the type of water yeah, that's yeah, in the ice, obviously. but just, yeah, just getting ice on it immediately. Oh, you know, it's always Saison season for me, so this would be awesome. <laughs> Let, let's do it. Yeah. I'm I, into it. This is exactly why I said originally, like, it'd be cool to do two. Yeah. You know, one where it's like completely out of the box. But not without, like, you know, some cognitive thought. <laughs> yeah. And then one that makes sense, but also a twist on, you know, the easy. This one would be, yeah. it's, it's going to, in theory, it sounds like it could be great. Yeah, it's just like, can we make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we'll see. I will, I will consult with Brandon on flash chilling to see if, because he, he knows all about the equipment. I'll see if there's not a way to flash chill at a large enough scale. To be able to do that effectively. But I think that's the second style. I also think that the best way to introduce this to people is having a cupping at the event. So you want me to fly back? I down? want you to come back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how am I going to get all the, the coffee anyway? I mean, well, you didn't bring I mean, any coffee on this trip, but we're going to need more coffee the next well, time. Because you just don't have a refined <laughs> enough palate to drink our coffee. Well, you know, my <laughs> wife would probably say the same thing. Uh, well, that's to be discussed another time. That puts us at an hour eight. Uh, man, I can see how it's easy know, to go for an hour. I think we covered everything, man. Yeah. Uh, I, so we, we settled on uh, a stout, a coffee stout using a natural Ethiopian roasted right before second crack with an uh, alcohol percentage somewhere between 5.5 to 7.5 so that it's not too boozy and warm, uh, that it's not too thin and low alcohol or not flavorful enough to hold up to the coffee with an IBU right around 20 to 30 just enough bitterness to hold up to the sweetness and keep it in balance. Uh, and then on the esoteric side, looking at a Saison with potentially coriander or other complementary herbs. Lemongrass? Lemongrass would be dope. Uh, and adding uh, some sort of washed Ethiopian TBD on how it will be brewed, but some sort of, it has to be high temperature at some point too extract the compounds that are going to give you the notes that will add to the saison without it just being that quote-unquote coffee flavor yeah. boom dig it <laughs> all right that's the podcast for awesome today. thanks for having me thanks man. ronnie uh we're here uh closing up at six mile bridge in maryland heights <laughs> st louis ish all right uh i've been saying have a great day at the finish so have a great day